I'll be reading from Psalm 119, 1 to 18, and 25 to 40. To 40. <clears throat> Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Be good to your servant while I live, that I may obey your word. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. I gave an account of my ways, and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. Cause me to understand the way of your precepts, that I may meditate on your wonderful deeds. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me and teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, preserve my life. Let's give Jane a round of applause. You may be seated. <laughs> Thanks, Jane. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah, you guys can be seated. For those of you who don't know, Jane is our office director. Um, she's the one really running things around here, okay, if anybody's wondering. So um, she's at least responsible for all the good things that happen around here, okay? I'm usually responsible for the nuts, okay. 
Uh, but we're thankful to have Jane on staff and even more thankful to have her a part of our church family. She did, that was great. Uh, for those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Brent Hall. I'm the lead pastor here at Edinburgh Church. You can say I'm representing Trout Lake Camp <laughs> uh, this morning. Our youth are right now at Trout Lake. And uh, I would just ask that church, you keep them in your prayers. They're going to be heading home today. And uh, we're praying that God does a work in uh, all of those youth and leaders' lives. We're in a series right now called What If There's More? What if there's more? I'm trying to get us to think about, like, what if there's more to Christianity than we think? You know, what if there's more to this whole church thing than we think? What if there's more to our spirituality than, than we think is possible? What if, what if there's more? Um, growing up, I grew up in a very flat uh, geographical area. The city, suburban area I grew up in, very flat. We didn't even really have hills where I um, grew up, and that was all I, uh, all I knew. Uh, the, the farthest I had gone, I, I did one time take a trip to Oklahoma. You know what the best part of Oklahoma is? Leaving, yeah. It's uh, leaving. So it, it, wasn't my, it wasn't that eye-opening, but then when I was a teenager, uh, the, the, I got to take a road trip out to Colorado and see the Rocky Mountains. Now, I had seen pictures of mountains, maybe seen them in movies and things like that, but to actually be driving in and, and, and see snow-capped mountains and smell mountain air to experience it, it honestly, for me, it was life-changing. I didn't know something like that existed. I didn't know something that could fill my soul with such a sense of just wonder and, and even, you know, just God's bigness, right? His glory. I, 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 I was filled with all kinds of feelings I had never had before and emotions. It was life-changing to realize there was more to the world than my little city, flat, geographical area I had grown up in. Fast forward when I'm in my early 20s, Danielle and I actually went out to the West Coast, and that's when I really experienced the ocean for the first time. Uh, my mom was trying to get us into this really fancy restaurant up on this cliff, but they had a staircase. Danielle and I went down because we wanted to be by the water, so an area you could go down and be on the beach. And we started playing this game where you, you waited for the water to go out, and then you went out with it, and then you tried to run back to see if you could beat these giant Pacific Coast waves, and let's just say we didn't make it and ended up, you know, uh, just from the top of our head to our, our feet, just, you know, dripping wet, and um, all that to say, we ended up eating at Denny's that night because they wouldn't let us into the fancy restaurant, uh, but that also was life-changing. It was just life-changing. Whoa, the ocean, seeing something like that, okay? And, and listen, you could travel the world, but you won't travel all that this world has in a lifetime. There's so much to explore. There's so much more than maybe we think. And our spirituality is a lot like that. You know, a lot of us, we, we, we live within our little flat geographical city of spirituality. And we think that's all there, all there is. Um, our traditions, uh, maybe even our corner of theology, and we think that's all there is. But I, I'm here to tell you there is so much more to God and to our faith and to this thing we call 
Christianity. There's so much more for all of us. None of us have arrived. And, and, and in fact, I'm here to tell you, we never really will arrive. Sometimes we think when we get to heaven, we've arrived. Uh, the 18th century Puritan preacher Jonathan Edwards uh, opened my eyes to the idea that he said, we're going to keep learning about God, having new ideas about God for all eternity because God is an infinite God. Do you believe that? You're never going to tap out God. You're never going to explore all there is. We're going to keep having these new revelations about his character and his goodness, which I would assume means we're going to continue to have deeper levels of senses of awe and wonder in our hearts and joy and peace that comes along with that for all eternity. We never really arrive. We just keep learning and growing and going deeper. Our lives are improved as a result, and here's the good news, we don't have to wait till heaven. We get to start that journey today. Amen? And that's my hope for us is in this new year, 2023, we're going to start this journey saying, what if I'm missing something? What if there is more? What if I thought this is all there is, but it's actually so much more than I thought? I'm hoping we're going to experience God like that in, in, this, in this new year. And this morning, I'm talking about what if there's more to the Bible? Okay? What if there's more to the Bible um, than we think, because we can oftentimes have all kinds of notions and, and assumptions about the, the Bible. It's just another religious book, or, uh, you know, it's a book full of wisdom, but that's really all it is. But look at what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16. He says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This idea of God breathed. Some of your translations um, traditionally say inspired. All scripture is inspired. But the problem with that word is when we hear inspiration, we think of like an artist that was inspired to write a song or an artist who was inspired to paint a painting. That's not what this word means. This is beyond that. It, 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 it means God breathed. It, it's a, a Greek word that's a compound word. It's made up of two words. Um, the word theos which means God, and then the word pneuma, which means spirit or breath or wind. And it puts these two Greek words together, and you get this idea of God breathed, God spirited. God working through these human authors, yes, using their personality and their writing styles, but it's God speaking exactly what he wants to say through them to to us. It's what we call special revelation. This is different from general revelation, okay, um, or natural revelation. General revelation, natural revelation, it has to do with nature and what our reason can figure out. The problem with that is we are limited. Our reason and what we can understand is, is limited. We need revelation outside of ourselves. We need revelation outside of our world to tell us the deeper truths of life. And this is what God gives us. He gives us special revelation. I'll give you an example of that. We know historically a man named Jesus died on the cross. That's a historical fact. Jesus died. But why? 
What was the point of that death? What did that death do? Why did Jesus going on the death uh, cross save us from our sin? Well, the Bible gives us the answer. It gives us special revelation that God used Jesus to take our sin upon himself and die with it in himself so that we could be cleansed of our sin and forgiven and spend all eternity with him. Okay? That, that you, human reason can't figure that out. Nature can't tell us that. We need special revelation. We need a word. We need the word, the word of God. The Bible's unique in that it's actually a compilation of books. It's actually made up of 66 books, uh, 27 in the New Testament, 39 in the Old Testament. It was written over a period of 1,500 years. It was written on three different continents by people who never met each other, three different languages, And uh, here's what's incredible about the Bible. It all tells one single story. God's plan for redemption. So all these people had never met. We often approach the Bible and we think it's all these disjointed books that just got somehow shoved together. And no, we see God behind all these authors who didn't even know each other and didn't know what the other authors were. But it all is pointing us to Jesus. And telling us God's plan through Jesus Christ to save the world. That's incredible in and of itself. In fact, we did a series a little over a year ago called The Scarlet Thread, if you want to check it out on our website. Where we showed just how the book of Genesis, just worked through Genesis to show how it pointed. Even the first book of the Bible was pointing us to Jesus, getting us ready, foreshadowing for Jesus. One of the things I've learned about the Bible, I like dramas. I like TV shows that are good dramas. I, I hate, like, shallow dramas. I want deep dramas. And I've watched a lot of good ones, friends. I'll tell you, nothing is as dramatic as this book. You want to read a drama? You want to see foreshadowing? If you're a writer, learn from this book. I mean, this book is powerful. It's one of the things that opened my, just seeing all the foreshadowing of Christ and thousands of years later, these things being answered and fulfilled. It's like, whoa, man did not write this book. It's different. It's set apart. It's holy. In fact, one of the specific areas we see that is with something called prophecy, you have some very explicit prophecies in, in the Bible that, that are in the Old Testament, get answered in the New Testament, fulfilled in Christ. Uh, a guy by the name of Peter Stoner, he was a mathematician, uh, but he also loved the Bible and, and prophecies in, in particular. And so he set out to, to discover what are the odds that just eight of the prophecies would be fulfilled in one person, in Jesus. What, what are the odds of eight prophecies being fulfilled in Jesus? And so these are very explicit prophecies, by the way. Uh, we're talking about things like the fact that he would be born in the town of Bethlehem. By the way, Bethlehem was probably a town of 100 people or less. It was a very small town. So to make that kind of prediction is pretty, pretty significant. Uh, the fact that he'd be betrayed with 30 pieces of silver, that exact number is given us <laughs> in his prophesied um, almost 1,000 years before Christ. The fact that he'd be born of a virgin, things like this, okay? Just eight, he looked at eight of the prophecies. By the way, there's 60 explicit prophecies. He just looked on eight to find out what are the odds. And here's what he discovered. He discovered the odds. It is one out of 100 quadrillion. 
growing up, I thought quadrillion was a made-up word. Anybody else? It's actually a real, it comes after a trillion. And we can't even get our minds around how big a trillion is. And he, he discovered it was um, one out of 100 quadrillion. In fact, the American Scientific Association backed that up and verified that uh, to be the case. And that's just eight of the prophecies. He knew we couldn't get our minds around that, so he gives this really good illustration. And he says, imagine you stack quarters a foot high all throughout the state of Texas. Now, you know how big Texas is, right? If you ever have to drive through it, it's going to be half your trip. Okay? It's a big state. In fact, it's more than twice the square footage of Minnesota. So just so we better understand, let's use Minnesota. The idea is you stack quarters everywhere you look. There's quarters stacked a, a, a foot high, and one is a special marked quarter that's some random place. Let's say it's up by Bemidji. And, and then somebody starts off in the Twin Cities. You blindfold him, and they walk until they feel ready, and then they bend down in the first quarter they pick up. He said it would be that, that's the chances of those prophecies being fulfilled, that that person would pick up that special marked quarter. We recognize the odds of that are impossible. Prophecy is one of those things that can help us realize how true God's word is. And by the way, an assumption many people make is they think other religious books have prophecies too. They don't. The Quran has zero prophecies. Other religious books have zero explicit prophecies. This is something unique to the Bible. Do you think maybe we should read it? Maybe this is a book we should explore and want to know because, friends, this is God's word to us, and all of us need to hear from God. Danielle and I met at a one-year Bible school out in uh, Colorado. It was a, a school made up of 44 students, that's all, so it was really easy to find a spouse. <laughs> I only had to, you know, compete with 22 other chumps. And uh, I spotted Danielle. The joke I always tell, my favorite joke, is I saw her, she saw me. It was love at first sight. And I eventually fell in love with her, too. Um, I, I, I said I wouldn't tell that because she's in this service. So I love you, honey. Uh, she hates that joke. But we did. We got to know each other. We started just talking and here was the problem. It was only a one-year school, and so it was coming to an end. She's coming back up to her home state of Minnesota. I'm going to work at a Christian camp out in Washington. What's going to happen to us? You know, we're teenagers, states apart. My family's down in Texas. We're not sure if we're ever going to see each other again. I'm working at this camp. They didn't want us really talking with outsiders for the summer, so it was really hard to communicate. Well, one day, uh, one of the counselors comes up and says, uh, you've, you've got to uh, get to the phone. Um, you have a family emergency. Um, now, for any young people in here, you, this might be hard to believe. This was in the back in the day before everyone had cell phones. The phone was actually attached to a wall. <laughs> and so I had to go to this special building, and I'm thinking, what, what is going on? I'm rushing and I, I answer the phone, and it's, it's Danielle. She says, hey. <laughs> I said, hey. It's so good to hear your voice. 
And we talked and we started planning and we started dreaming and scheming. How are we going to make this thing work after this summer? And she started telling me about Northwestern College. And so I said, maybe I should check out Northwestern College. So we just started planning. And one thing led to another. And eventually I'm at Northwestern College. Why? Because I got a word. I got a word from Danielle. Let's just say I had a lot of family emergencies that summer. They started wondering what was wrong with my family. A lot, but it was Danielle. I needed a word. I needed to hear. Do you want to say we need a word when it comes to God? You need a word. You need to hear from him. You need to know him. You need to plan. You need to scheme with God. We need a word. Jesus tells this parable, gives us this parable in Matthew 7. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. So this is a house built on a firm foundation. But then... Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, he's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So many people building their life on sandy foundations. You know, all of us build our life on something. All of us build our life on some belief, on some philosophy. And what Jesus is saying, if we'll take his word and put his word into practice, you will build your life on, on, a, on a foundation that when the storms of life come, he didn't say when they, if they come. He said, right, they're going to come. When they come, you will still be standing. Your life will hold up. You know, one way we should think about the Bible, it's like a, it's like a foundation, You want to build your life on this book. You want to stand upon this this book. You want to put these words into practice because, friends, you want a good life? You need a good foundation. You want a life that's going to last and make it through to the end? With glory that God gives? You're going to need a solid foundation to build your life upon. I'm so glad that I've chosen to build my life upon this book. You know, Danielle and I, we've also had our share of fights, you know, over the years since we've been married. And I don't even remember what it was on one occasion, but we were mad at each other. We weren't talking. Um, I was going to bed at night. It was like, you know, you get oh, a little chilly next to me, right? I'm sleeping next to Antarctica. <laughs> you know, some walls were going up. And uh, I was sticking to my side and what I thought, and I wasn't going to back down. And that next morning, I get up, and I'm in the Word. <laughs> and, and, and I come to Ephesians 5.25, which says this. Is, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Really? <laughs> right? And I went to work, and I mean, God was just, oh, it was just, pound, it was just working on my heart. And, and by the time I got home, I knew what I had to do. I had to go sit down with Danielle. I had to humble myself. I had to say I'm sorry. 
apologize for something. And I had, so that those walls came down. And I can't tell you how many times God's word has spoken to me when I needed it so that I made a decision that led to my good. So that something small then becomes something big and tragic. No, God will hit us with his word to correct and help us get on the path that's going to lead to life everlasting. When we build our life on his word. You know, those of you who know my story, know what I come out of. Uh, you, you know, um, I was in this very desperate place and I was thirsty and I was hungry and I remember opening up the word of God and I started with Genesis 1 because, right, that's where when you open up a book, that's where you want to start. You want to start, you want to start with the, the, the opening. So that's all I knew to do at that time. So I opened up to Genesis and I started reading and, friends, it was like... Man, the Bible was a lot. It was like God had written the Bible specifically for me. Some of you know what I'm talking about right now. It was like it was speaking. It was like I was in the garden. It was like I was the one who ate the fruit. I turned my back on God. It was like everything it was saying, I related to. It was so relatable. Like I was, and then I read through Exodus and God's goodness and his salvation and how he can do miracles. And I was just my, and then I got into Leviticus. Wheels came off a little bit at that point. Okay, so you just skip Leviticus. I love it. Just skip it. Okay. It's terrible pastoral advice. <laughs> just skip it. I actually skipped all the way ahead to the Gospels, and I got into uh, Matthew. And by the way, the next series we're going to get into is the Sermon on the Mount. We're going <laughs> to spend almost half the year talking through that. But I got into it, and it was like, man, there is more. <laughs> It was, uh, my eyes were being opened to things, and all of a sudden, it was like I was, I was changing, and my life was being transformed, and I wanted more. I was almost obsessed with the Bible. And yet, here's the irony, and here's the crazy part, is I remember growing up, I had tried to sit down. People had told me I should read the Bible, and so I tried to, and I remember trying to read this book. And it was like eating sawdust. I couldn't get anything out of it. It wasn't relatable to my life. I had no idea what was going on. I mean, I was just, and so I, here on one hand, I'm like reading it. And it, and it wasn't really like I was reading. It was more like it was reading me as it's coming alive in my heart and then I'm thinking back how I used to read the Bible and it, it meant nothing to me. How is that possible? For 2,000 years, people have, the church has recognized there's something special about this book. Other people haven't, but they've recognized there's something special about this book. Why is it that some see that and experience that and some don't? Well, Paul tells us something that's really important for us, church. Tells us this in 1 Corinthians 2. Listen to this. He says, What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Talking about the Holy Spirit here. So that we may understand what God has freely given us. He's talking about the gospel, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus and what that means for our life and the significance of it. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, 
but in words taught by the what? The Spirit. Explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words, okay? The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them. And when he says understand, he means can't see the value, can't understand the significance of it. Why? Because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Uh, No less than six times, Paul uses in these two verses this idea of spirit, that we need the Holy Spirit to understand the value and significance of this book. So, right, I could tell you to go from here to there. The application could be good. Go read your Bible. And, and by the way, you, you don't just have to read anymore. Now you can listen to your Bible. You can get James Earl Jones to read the Bible for you and play it in your car. You can have Mufasa reading your Bible for you if that's how you best like to do it. But that's not even where I want to start. You know, go read, go read your Bible. That's what I was always told. Go read your Bible. Do you understand what Paul's saying? Before we ever read our Bible, the first thing we've got to make sure we have is the Spirit. Because if you don't have the Spirit, the Bible's not going to mean anything to you, and it's going to be like eat, trying to eat sawdust. It's going to be tasteless. But when you have the Spirit in you, this book is going to come alive, and it's going to be life-giving. That's how God works in his people's life. So I want to do something, you know, a little different this morning. I, I want to um, have us just invite the Spirit into our life Uh, be filled in the Spirit. I want us to leave here today just filled. I just want us to be filled with the Spirit of of, of God. So I'm going to ask if you can, would you please stand up? Stand with me. Um, If you're willing, put your hands out like this. Um, This is a posture of receiving. What we're saying is we want to receive. We want to receive God. We receive His Spirit working in, in our life. And I'm going to pray for us. Father, we, we invite your spirit into our, into our lives, into our church. Uh, maybe there's some here today who have never received the Holy Spirit. Friends, that happens. Every believer receives the Holy Spirit. Maybe today's the day you need to surrender your life to Christ and his word so that the spirit comes and resides in you. Maybe today's the day some of you need to just say, God, I confess I'm a sinner, but I want your grace. <laughs> I want what Christ has done for me applied to my life so that I can come into a relationship with you and now have you come live inside of me with your spirit. Let's receive that. If you've never received that, just receive. It's a free gift. I don't know why you wouldn't want it. Others of us, maybe the spirit's been a little dormant in us. We already have the spirit, but we haven't been filled with the spirit lately. And so I'm just gonna pray, God, would you just fill us today through Christ and what he's done Would you fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit that we would walk out of here today and know that you are with us? We would sense you speaking and working in our life, in our families, in our children, in our grandchildren, in our church, God. We want more. Amen, church? We want want more. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to now come and fill us up from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. Fill us, fill us, fill us, and help us to build a great life on your great foundation. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said.